Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. This episode is sponsored by Rimmel Greenhouse Systems, makers of quality greenhouse structures. Whether you're just getting started or buying your 10th tunnel, Rimmel has a structure to fit your needs. I purchased and grown in Rimmel houses and would recommend them to everyone. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Brad Morgan from Morgan Composting. Morgan Composting is a family business that was started in 1996 by Brad and his father, Dale. Brad began composting as a solution to a manure management problem on his 200 head dairy operation. Now the cows have been sold and Morgan Composting designs, manufactures, and distributes powerful and organic soil amendments, fertilizers, and potting soil mixes for the homeowner and agricultural sectors under the Dairy Do brand. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Michael. Looking forward to this. Absolutely. So talk to us, you know, you were dairy farming, obviously when you're dairy farming, there's only so many places you can get rid of manure. Well, we was one of the first to actually enact back in the 1980s, early 1980s. My wife and I, we actually uh, rented this farm and it was a tie stall barn with a 60 cow herd. And we leased it from a farm that was trying to exit the Mm -hmm. dairy industry. So that's how we got started is basically, it wasn't a family business. It was basically a, um, a farmer that basically was trying to exit the business. So I leased the facilities and went and begged and borrowed and did what I could to get enough money to buy the, the cattle. So yeah, that's how it, we got started. Cause the cows and the equipment are the big expenses there as you're trying to get that set up. Well, the capital to come up with short-term money back then, interest rates were, you know, 11, 12% interest. So it was a whole different world than we're living in today. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So then you started doing the cows and um, when did you start thinking about compost? Well, we, as we grew from 60 cows to 80 cows to 120 cows to 240 cows with the young stock, and we was basically locked into 110 acres of ground. Obviously, we was figuring out how to find homes for our manure. So it was costing me about $25,000 back then to haul the manure over to my neighbor's farm and give it to him. Wow. So we started looking at options of how to generate um, more potential income. So uh, in, in about 1994, 95, I started investigating the option to compost. So Michigan State basically got very involved at that point in time. And we started following that. And that's when my father come into play. And he says, uh, I says, I think we can make something out of this. Yeah. So that's when he stepped in. So in what role did he play in the whole operation? Uh, I would call him my stabilizer. Okay. Uh, my father thinks things through very quickly, or very thoroughly. He's, uh, him and my mom are very stable. Yeah, I have that mindset that I can do anything. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that can be a problem. So I'm very (laughs) fortunate (laughs) to have a father that was able to help me kind of stabilize my thought process. How's that? Yes, absolutely. So is he still with the company or is he very much at 85 years old? 
he is the mentor behind me and my sons. And I would dare say that we're extremely blessed at 85 years old that he still shows mm. up here every day. That's awesome. So talk to me a little bit about, you started making compost. When did you first think about the aspect of compost being in a potting mix? Well, our, our whole number one option, when, when we first started talking to Michigan State and making markets, they basically said, well, the value of it is very minimal and you probably can't make a product. So we quit making compost. We said, mm. we're not making compost. We're making dairy do. Ah. We completely changed the mindset of we was going to become the best at the best. So we actually ended up going to a company called, uh, well, Edwin Blosser paid a major role in this role. Um, Joe Scrimger, I hired him as a consultant and he would come in and test and validate and move the needle. And we, we started really playing with recipes and designs and quality control. And we, we just moved into something that I could put my fingerprint on and be proud of. Mm -hmm. So at that point in time, we thought that the homeowner landscape market was going to be the heart and soul of our company. Well, the truth of the matter is, is when you really think about soil health and biology within it, there's nothing easier than making something that you can measure in a high quality compost. Mm -hmm. So agriculture actually has led the way to our success all the way around. Yes. So, so you started with the dairy do, and then um, like the, the, because we use, I think your seed starter 101, I think that's your main product. Absolutely. For, for, for germination and that, and that was the other thing. Once I got to a point, when you start understanding compost, it isn't that you can make a compost that's going to be a seed starter. Uh, most people don't realize, I think there's 17 ingredients in our seed starter. Mm. Everything from worm castings to a small amount of dairy dew to vermiculite. I mean, but there's, there's uh, and, and, and again, I come from a dairy background. So when you start thinking about feeding a cow, yeah. And the digestive tract of a cow, you can convert that mindset into soil health. You can revert it into soil nutrition. You know, so even though I come from a dairy background and I understood the biology with that, that cow's stomach, reflecting that back into agriculture today and soil quality or plant health, all of them are relevant. So when I remember milking cows and I would put I mean, literally teaspoons of lactobacillus and I could change a cow's digestive tracts and health. You, you start realizing the importance of biology within that system. Mm. So I, I know I'm a very simple minded. I have to actually be able to touch it, feel it or smell mm -hmm. it, or I don't believe it. So that's kind of where I'm at right now with the soil health issues. Now I've just converted that idea of feeding the cow into feeding the soil. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So then with that, you, you started that, and then you've expanded your, your product line quite drastically. There's a fair number of other things you offer. Talk to us a little bit about the expansion. Well, uh, obviously we're, we're trying to stay vertical. So yeah. understanding in agriculture, uh, there's nothing more economically feasible than using manures within your system, especially in today's world. I mean, uh, when you start pricing nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, calcium, everything has a price tag. So this I could see coming years ago. I mean, we all seen it coming years ago. So utilizing and managing manures, whether it's chicken manure, whether it's dairy dew, whether it's any kind of organic materials coming through a system that don't have a home or is not managed properly, 
that become a simple approach for us. So obviously we started doing a lot of custom blends and trying mm. to complement what we was doing. So at times we'll use a small amount of dairy dew for a biological stimulant within the manure, or we'll use silicate, which is a carbon-based product. So there's a lot of things that we can do putting puzzles together that make very good sense in soil health as well as economics. So we, we started doing that a long, long time ago. And obviously today, I think it's a, I think it's a blessing that we've been able to do that because now we're complementing the problems that are there with the price of fertilizers and so forth. So don't under, underestimate the value of chicken manure. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, that has been a key role to our success because chicken manure is wonderful at 4% nitrogen, 4% phosphorus, 3% potassium, whatever the mm -hmm. numbers may fall into. But when I can add carbon, when I can add sulfur, when I can add biology, now all of a sudden we're covering a lot of bases and we can make a lot of sense out of a small amount of material going on. Yeah. So talk to about that because you have the dairy manure and you have chicken manure. Those are very different. But And so let's say the seed starter mix, do you add both of those in or is it more? No, actually okay. seed starter, you know, for potting soils and container mixes, you have to be very careful that you don't overdo compost. So what mm -hmm. we've done mm -hmm. is obviously we have a small amount of feather meal, a small amount of meat and bone meal. We have a small amount of compost, worm castings azomite. There's multiple products that we put together, but what we found is by taking them key products and recomposting them, we make what we call our, our, our uh, we, we make a compost blend, and then we can use a small amount of that in the mix. But what that does is, is make certain for food safety, it makes certain for odor control, makes certain for all of the details that we're actually taking one step. We call that our frostings mix. And it's not mm -hmm. something that nobody else does. But as we started evaluating all of the systems, we just knew that we had to take all the variables out and make certain that that was in place. And, and that has one, it's worked wonderful. It kind of sets us apart from everybody. So we not only put compost in there, but we actually recompost everything in a certain way to make certain that the plant availability to our products are second to none. Mm -hmm. Is that, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't know if you used our seed starter or not. You, you do, don't you? Yeah, we use that exclusively. And I just realized, um, we, we just ran through an entire tote in like a week and a half because we're, you know, we're now in deep seed starting mix, but, uh, so I need to order more, but, um, I, I mean that, that I think is the, the key aspect there of when you have a really good seed starter mix. Cause I think that the, the, correct me if I'm wrong, but the balance is getting enough fertility in there to give a transplant what it needs before it gets out to the field while not putting enough salts in there that it prevents the, the, the seeds from germinating. I could, I could hire you as a salesman right now. Um, <laughs> because, but, but a, a lot of it is, is simple. Now there is another characteristic of that product that I think okay. is hard to measure. If you think about taking your transplants to the field and the fact that we've actually really focused on the, the biological aspects, as well as the trace mineral, as well as the mycorrhizal fungi. Mm -hmm. And you're putting plant after plant, after plant, after plant, all the way down. You're carrying a certain amount of biology and soils with you. Mm -hmm. 
And, and we're, we're really starting to see some real advantages is over the course of time by using a high quality transplant mix, you're having an influence, you're having an influence in your, your field itself. Yeah. Because you know, you, 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 you think you're only measuring the nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, but the, the potential of extra, extra, uh, food and biology coming out of that transplant material. Uh, we're seeing major changes over a course of time where people that have been using it for a while are really starting to come back and say, wow, things are happening. Yeah. So, I mean, like when you think about that, when we do, let's say lettuce, you're transplanting that, let's say, you know, a nine by nine or a nine by 12 spacing, and yep. you're just injecting little bits of compost all over your, you know, your yep. beds. Absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. And the same principles and concepts we played in big agriculture, because obviously you can't go out on 10,000 acres of farm ground and put an inch of compost. Yeah. So what we're finding is if you consistently put a ton and a quarter to two ton in an, in an environment, you know, of a blended product and you do it year after year after year, I mean, it's taken us a long time to watch our soil qualities in a lot of areas go the wrong way. It's going to take a little time to get us pointed in agriculture back to where we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And typically when we're like, you know, we will hit most of our transplants with a, uh, typically a seaweed. And then we'll also put some prebiotic, ultra prebiotic on it as well, right before we go out into the field, just to give it yep. like a, some juice as it goes into the field. Yep. Um, but those transplants are usually beautiful as they're right heading into that. Well, and that's something that we're working on from a company standpoint. I, I, I think probably you're aware that we put together a liquid program now and we mm -hmm. make our own humic acid and fovic acid. And yes, I'm, yep. a, I'm a huge believer in kelp. Mm. The problem with kelp is I think there's very few people, including myself, that understand it, understands its power. Yeah. And, and I think there's very few people that understand uh, not only its power, but how to use it. Because I think there are times when you could use it that you may not see much, but I think there's times when you could use it that it could actually overdo what you're aiming for. Mm. And I'll give you an example. One of my experiments is I flew on, on uh, we make a product called Kelpful, and we flew mm -hmm. it on a cornfield. And we split a, a, a hundred acre cornfield and we did half. Uh, and I've never really followed through the details, but I, I will tell you that physically as a crop was wanting to go to bed for the season and die down. Yeah. You could see exactly where I put that fovic acid and kelp application. And you say, well, wonderful. You kept the plant alive longer. You're going to get more yield more. Well, and I think we did, mm. but I harvested a field that had 18% moisture corn and a field right next to it that I put a small amount of kelp on it that actually had 30% moisture corn. So, Obviously, oh, yeah. you, you understand if you keep a plant alive longer, uh, you may not economically make a positive move. So what, but what that did is that it reconfirmed my belief in fovic acid and kelp. Yeah. So the, the problem is if you keep stuff alive. So I guess the question would be, would you just have to use a shorter day corn in yeah, the same situation? There, absolutely. Or... Oh, yeah, there's a lot of things that can play into that. And that's a very broad, um, unscientific way of studying yeah. things. Um, you know, when I first started, one of the six most successful things that I learned that if a customer called me back 
on the second, third, and fourth year. Yeah. That means things worked for him. Yeah. <laughs> so we really did try to pay attention to the quality control and the customer service, especially as we was getting started. And mm-hmm. that's becoming more difficult today, you know, because of you know, the amount of customer bases we have. But I'm yeah. still an advocate for the, and, and I've got an amazing staff here. I, I don't know how many of you met, but Theo and Connor and Trish and, you know, some of the people that we've got here. Yeah how in the world a small company like myself was able to put together the quality of personnel. I have no idea. I've been very, very blessed and very, very lucky. Yeah. Now you have a saleswoman, I think Sue, is that? I've Sue. spoken to her. Yep. Yes. Oh yep. my gosh. She talked my, my ear off for at least 30 <laughs> minutes on all the different awesome things you guys have, which was great because I left knowing exactly what I needed for everything, but just awesome. the breadth of what she knows and just be able to say, well, you want this for this. And if you were looking for this customer, they're going to go after this. So, you know, that kind of information is super helpful. So, but to that point, talk me through, because you have the Seed Starter 101, but you also have a couple other products people for the greenhouse might be interested. Let's say, I think like a, a flower mix and stuff like that. What are those, how are those different? The concepts and the principles, when I started designing these products, I actually was working with a greenhouse out of, out of Kalamazoo and they was going to design an organic uh, potting soil specifically targeted towards one chain store. So I spent two days a week and we had a, quite a team from Michigan State as well as myself, as well as a couple consultants. And we would actually do, because we was making an organic mix and not many people understood organic mm-hmm. seed starters, compost blends. Uh, they just didn't understand it. Actually, you know, it's a science within itself to a degree. And so I spent two days a week for two years down there measuring plants, looking through a microscope, trying to develop these products, tweaking every little detail. And one of the things that I decided early on is I was not going to build a product for price. Mm. I was going to make a product that I was proud of. I wanted to put my fingerprint on. I wanted to, be, to, to, to actually represent. So price actually, as bad as it sounds, was not in that conversation. At the end, as we developed what we wanted, then we basically took that product and we made it into a product that I, I, I would stand behind. And today, I won't deny the fact that we've tweaked and we've modified and we've generated a better product than we did then. But the whole principles of design of our products right now, I guess I'm, I'm, that's kind of how I think. I want to make certain that I feel good about what leaves here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it really does have a matter of, it, it has to make economic sense when it has to make production sense. Because we still farm about, I, I still am involved in about 1,500 acres myself. And okay. They, that's one of those deals where you can say, well, you can take, what is it? You can take the boy off the farm, but you really can't yeah. take the farm out of the boy. So mm-hmm. even though the cows were gone, we still kept on uh, working in agriculture. Now we call it our major, re- uh, our major uh, uh, research plot, you know, <laughs> so. Uh, in our area, we still do a fair amount of acres, but we really try to learn from what we're doing and seeing, and we have a small greenhouse that we do. So there, there's a lot of things that we do in-house that I have to know or see or believe before I can really put it on the market. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So for like the flower mix, what different characteristics than your Seed Starter 101 does that have? Well, number one, it's going to carry a little higher nutrient load. So it's going to demand, you know, for a little bit more, um, a little stronger plant going in. 
Um, secondly, it's going to have a little more porosity because mm-hmm. we're going to use a little more concentration of bark. Okay. Um, and it's going to be more mineralized because at that point in time, you're asking it to take the seed, the, 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 the seed or the clone or whatever you're doing, and yeah. you're asking it to transplant into a mix. And so we use it more as the stage two growth. And that means that it works pretty well in hanging baskets. It works pretty well in transplants. It works pretty good in, you know, in all of them kind of. But the, the perfect world is you take it out of the, the seed tray and move it into, you know, the 201 or the 301. And the, yeah. what your objective is, is you want to take that mycorrhizal fungi, that clone that you're, the, that, that plant that's already started to root and moving beyond that, and then transplant it into something that's going to start developing a stronger root system from within. So it, it, it's, not that, it's, it's not that the ingredients are so much different. It's just geared towards a different, a different stage of the plant's growth. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And, and obviously for us, we're doing 90% transplant. So we typically just do the 101, but I think it probably would make sense as we scale a little bit to start using some of these other ones. Um, now, one of the things that I heard from a grower um, is that California, you have to, she's shipping transplants. And so she was saying, I can't use a compost-based mix because I have to certify that there's no Japanese beetles in my, in my basically plants when they ship to California. And if there's compost in there, they could have Japanese beetle eggs. I can't, I don't want to answer that because I'm not positive that I'm privy. I would put, I would love to put Theo or Connor or somebody yeah. else into the research. The, the thing that I would question if you're using compost, our compost, nothing goes through our system without thermophilically getting to a temperature that we're testing for E. coli, salmonella, lathera. You understand? Yeah, exactly. I'm not positive what kind of egg. Now I will, I will say that I'm not totally confident in everybody's compost. I mean, I, I, my, our protocol, uh, the way we are with our compost is very much structured but I do know from our standpoint, temperature, we, it's not like we've had a lot of trouble with coming back with weed seeds or pathogens or anything of the sort because yeah. our, our process is such. So to think that an egg could live through a composting process 140, 150 degrees for the length of time, I wouldn't say it couldn't, Yeah, but I haven't seen anything that has. I mean, you know, for that's, that's why we do what we do. We, yeah. We, and if you go back to my beginning statement, I says, I'm not making compost. I'm making dairy do. Exactly. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to allow our company to be compromised into the cheapest product on the market. Yeah. But I'm assuming you guys ship to California. Well, I think we do, but I can't answer that at this <laughs> point in time. Um, I, I know, I know it, it, it's humbling in my world to sometimes all of a sudden somebody will come and say, okay, we just shipped a similar to so-and-so, you know, and it's extremely humbling from my standpoint to think that, that we're, we've got that kind of reach. Yeah. Um, uh, but I will deny at my, where I'm at right now, some of that information is, it, yeah. it, it may not reach my desk. How is that? That's yes, that that's totally understandable. And like, yeah, we can always follow up with other folks on that. But <laughs> it's it's interesting though, because I had never thought about that or heard that. 
And so I was just, you know, always interested in why, why that has to be. And I would, again, it comes back to, you know, your temperature and you're, you're running a good temperature with your compost, that stuff shouldn't survive. I guess maybe they would come back and say, well, there's a possibility that Japanese beetle could lay eggs in as you're sitting in finished piles. And, but, that, and, that, and that I wouldn't, I would not want to dispute because yeah. we're, we're going through uh, uh, what I would call a self-examination as far as um, biosecurity within our own structure. Mm. I mean, most composting operations basically don't look at things exactly the same way we do, but we are constantly looking at, okay, how, what exposures do we have and where are we at and yeah. what products can have, um, yeah, obviously. So but the more people I bring into this company and more young people that I bring in, obviously the more challenges because, but these are going to be issues that we're going to constantly, but my golly, it don't matter what's setting outside or exposed. I don't know if you're ever going to find something that's not exposed to mother nature at some point in time. Absolutely. And again, that's what I would go back and say is like, look, I mean, like there's so many ways they could get in. Why are you picking on this one? And and maybe <laughs> well, they had a problem in the past. Maybe I should get an etymologist or I don't know. What's the people that talk about bugs? That's <laughs> an etymologist. That's okay. <laughs> get one of them on from California. They can tell us the, what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, talk to us a little bit about your philosophy. Obviously, you know, you're where you're located and you're shipping heavy products through trucking. Would you like to see, you know, you just guys keeps growing or would you ever like to see, you know, additional dairy do companies pop up in different areas? No, we, we actually have five composting sites throughout the state. So oh, wow. we're, we're, we're growing and we're, we're actually logistics are huge within our company. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. On the other hand, that every time, and you gotta, I've got to be very careful because obviously as we add different sites and, and we start making product at different locations, the management that we're dealing with, um, are, are, we have to set some pretty strict guidelines in order for us to be able to reduplicate what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's not that I think that I, I want to hoard the market. It's just if my name's on it, if our company name's represented I've got to make certain that the quality of control that we're running is at a standard that I, I, I sign off from. Gotcha. Uh, it's, yeah. It's, it's not that I, I, I feel like, and I will tell you all compost has value. So don't, don't misinterpret this. I think that all compost, whether you make it or whether it's right next door to you or so forth, it's just that at some point in time, I, I think we have to decide what our target is and where we want to use it and how to use it. So I, I've had multiple people that have put on a high carbon-based product and come back to me and said, well, we didn't have very good success. Well, if the carbon isn't digested and you put a bolt, a lot of carbon on a system, it's going to tie up part of your nutrient for a year or two. So yeah. there are certain things that are, I, I think we still need to continue to do more research all the way around when it comes to compost, but we've been very blessed. If you think about, I, I, we've got a couple of people at Michigan state that have been instrumental. I mean, going all the way back to Sig Snap, to Dr. George Bird, to Dr. Birenbaum, to Joe Scrimger. There's just been a lot of people over the years that have seen things in a different light. And we've, we, we've just followed that kind of a lead. Um, so um, how in the world we think that we're where we need to be completely in composting or recycling. 
I think we're at the beginning. We're not at the end. I mean, there's tons of opportunity for us to be thinking about where these recycled products can fit into agriculture, into the homeowner market. But at some point in time, we've got to make certain that we know and and we work parallel with the universities. Yeah. And I think what you said there too is so important because, you know, when we first started farming ourselves, we, you know, we're like, well, we're gonna make our own soil mix. So we went out and followed these recipes and we got some, um, and and our, and our, and our plants failed miserably, um, because the quality of the compost just wasn't there. But when we started switching and again, we were in the Northeast, so we were using some of Carl's product up there. Um, and, uh, and, and again, that, that just changed our, it just plain changed the paradigm because obviously we were now just using a product that actually worked. And, you know, obviously then we moved out here, started using your product. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, going back to, as you said, compost is not all, the all compost is good. I guess I would say a caveat of that is there has been some compost I've seen that has some pretty nasty stuff in it. And I've seen yes. farmers put it on and really screw themselves up. So I, I won't deny that, but I guess the point that I made when I, all compost has some value, yeah. if it's managed right and used in the right direction yes. and application. And, and that can be as simple as road construction projects, or that can be as simple as um, areas that are brownfield sites mm-hmm, where they need mm-hmm. a term. So yep. I, I'm not, I don't want to, not everything should fit into a potting soil or a potato field or a, a you know, a root crop field. Um, yeah. They're them kind of things when you're growing food and when you're growing, we really have to be at a different level. Um, so I think I think the fact of recycling and new opportunities are going to be endless. Yeah. I think at some point in time, we're going to want somebody behind the scenes that believes in what they're doing. Yeah. Hey, thriving farmers. Do you need a quick win on your farm? Have you struggled to find the right soil amendments that maximize your fruit or vegetable production? In December of 2020, I was introduced to AgriGrow and their prebiotic formulas. I was skeptical at first, but this past season, I boosted my strawberry yields by 18% with an AgriGrow product called Ultra. What does an 18% yield increase look like in dollars? My $6 in product investment returned me $868 worth of marketable strawberries on just three rows. This is the kind of ROI that we need as small scale producers. Ultra is an OMRI listed soil prebiotic technology that has been proven to increase yields and develop soils. To find out more or to order, go to smallfarm.solutions. AgriGrow is offering a 10% discount to all Thriving Farmer listeners. Simply use the coupon code THRIVE when you check out. Again, that is T-H-R-I-V-E for 10% off discount on your first order. So talk to me about sourcing. So you obviously are selling a finished product that is very much concentrated from the original uh, raw material. Uh, do you guys source from mainly dairy farms or are you bringing in from now just a, a, a wide range of different places? No, we bring in mostly dairy farms. Now we still have some places that we source and some of them products are used in specialty products that go into targeted areas. Okay. So I, I, I want to make certain that we don't get hung up on the fact that there's going to be more challenges and opportunities for us. But uh, at some point in time, there's a dairy dew product that's made. There's a poultry, poultry compost that's made. There's, there's different blends that's made. Them have to retain the identity. Mm-hmm. But there's other recyclable products that we're playing with right now that I think are going to carry a lot of load. 
and a lot of opportunity. And if we don't continue to explore them kind of opportunities, we're going to run into a supply demand issue. It's even like right now, there is no question chicken manure is in a high demand. To try to find it is one thing, but then to be able to afford to buy it is another. So these kind of pricings are following the fertilizer, you know. So yeah. at some point in time, there are other products out there that can fit into this world. I mean, feather meal is an awesome product. Chicken feathers. Yeah. If you grind up chicken feathers, amazing. You get 14% nitrogen, you know. So these kind of products, meat and bone meal, blood meal, um, the alfalfa meal. There's going to be a lot of different products coming on the market that have that opportunity to stay within an organic and a sustainable reach. And I think we got to constantly be developing and creating new ideas for those. Yeah. So uh, talk to me a little bit about peat too, because I know peat is something that you hear some people say it's the worst thing in the world. It's destroying the environment. Other people say it's completely sustainable. Um, I, I believe there's some peat in your products. I, I'm a, I'm an advocate for Pete, but I won't deny a couple things that's happening right now. Supply and demand issues are playing into that role. There uh -huh. is a tremendous shortage of Pete right now. What makes our whole environment vulnerable? So trying to come up with some recyclable products that can fit in and minimize the usage of Pete or change that is not inconceivable either. So I, I, I but for me to, to take target at, the sphagnum peat industry. Yeah. I don't think I need to do that. I think each person is well enough educated to know that at some point in time, you know, you're mining sphagnum peat, but yeah. if you ask the right, the certain people, they'll say, well, it's regenerating itself faster than we're taking it out. So is it a resource or is it a, and, yeah. and I'm not positive that I need to make that stand. What I will tell you is the product has come from Canada. So it's got a lot of logistics attached to it. Mm. Um, the product comes from Canada, which means it's an import, not an export. Yeah. Um, it, and what it tells me is it's an opportunity for me to think about doing better. Mm. That does yeah. not mean that I have to attack it. It just means that means there's an opportunity right now that our sphagnum peat and most of our products are 35% in that range. Yeah, uh, I can start moving the needle towards a better product down the way, a more sustainable product for our area down the way. And I don't have to attack anybody, mm -hmm. but I do have to maintain the stability of growth somehow. Yes. Yeah. So are there alternatives that you're messing with right, or playing around with right now? Absolutely. There's some wood products. There's some paper products. There's uh, we're, we're playing with a lot of different products. I'm actually doing some re-edge peat mm -hmm. in a compost blend because basically what I can do is I can take a hot compost windrow of, uh, and, and if I can start adding some re-edge peat to that, I can, what I can make is a high carbon dairy do mentality product. Now, mind you, this is still in, in the process of works, but we've been doing this for a while. So we're starting to learn that if I take and make a dairy do recipe and it's 150 degrees. And if I start adding some Michigan peat to it, yeah, I, I, I can take care of the pathogens, the weed seeds, what have you. We just haven't decided how far I can push that and the end results. So that's in the research of where we're going, yeah. I guess you could say. So what is the difference of a Michigan peat versus your sphagnum peat from Canada? Well, the, the sphagnum peat from Canada is to me is much more predictable. 
the yes. Michigan Pete is very, and I'm going to, again, I don't want to have, I don't want to get into one or the other, but we've had a hard time finding the consistency of Michigan Pete compared to the Spagnum Pete. Now, gotcha. that does, and, and, and that doesn't mean if you have access to one specific supply, but obviously if you're digging spag or Reed's Edge Pete, you are digging holes. It's probably not regenerative. Got yes. Yeah. Okay. That, that would be my concern. Now I will tell you that there's things like uh, reground pine bark that we're yep. really getting into, but that's becoming a supply issue already as well. So mm. the, these, these kind of recyclable products that we've got to continue to challenge and, and we've got to be able to walk into, but we've got to, we've got to push, we got to guide, we got to direct yeah. the, the universities you know, we did some research projects this year, a couple of, for the past three years with uh, Marisol from Michigan State University on soil health with, uh -huh. with the potatoes. And yep. we had phenomenal findings. Now, the, the, the part that to me amazed me the most is a lot of what we had talked, what we found was theory. All right. When you start talking about soil health and what have you, a lot of that was theory. And what's happening now is the universities start doing more and more trials with compost, organic materials, soil health. They're, they're, they're validating what was theory and they're validating into reality. So it's, it's not that grandpa didn't realize that if he put the same manure back there, the calf pen manure in the back or out of the tie stall barn in the back and he left it in a pile it would shrink 40%. So he only had to spread 40% of what he was doing. Uh -huh. But more importantly, the biological change that he was spreading in the field come spring had a tremendous influence on his soil health, on his plant health all the way around. He may not have been able to validate it. He just knew where he put that manure. Yeah. Things work better. And even today, whether you're talking potato fields, whether you're talking... Uh, apple orchards, any place that they can get an old dairy farm with some sort of a long-term uh, program, that's, that's, that's new ground. And people just die to get new ground because they know no matter what crop that they're going to turn that into, they're going to have a few years of very good success. Correct. So some of this isn't necessarily measured, but science is starting to catch up and being able to validate some of the theory that we've had over the years. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say for a, a brand new farmer that's looking to, to get into farming in relationship to, let's say, like, you know, sourcing or, or, or making their own compost or thinking about the soil fertility side? Find somebody that can avoid your mistakes. Mm. I mean, find a resource or a person that, you know, I, I, I've had this rule of thumb that if I'm going to help a farmer develop compost that he's going to use and help his farm, I'm very much his fan and I'll help him in any way, shape or form. If he has a resource there and he wants to use it on his own, if he's going to make it into a business, then I, then, then I have to be able to charge a consulting fee or what have you. Yeah. But realistically, just to help a farmer, there's a certain amount of obligation that I feel as being in business and as well as being a farmer, that that information needs to be structured, passed down and, and, and shared. Yeah. But if I'm, if I'm going to be a consultant for a new business to start up, then I have to look at it a little bit differently. So there is a question of, 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 of ethics and what questions yeah. you're asking. And, you know, if you want all of the 
25 years of proprietary information that I've been trying to get, yes, that's one thing. If you're trying to develop a business as a young farmer and I can help you say, save money or get your farm in a better position, yeah, that, that should be the fact that I'm getting a little older and I should be willing to pass that information down. Absolutely. So what's, uh, what's in the future for the brand? Are you guys have any new major initiatives happening or what's, what's your forward thinking? Uh, it, it, your timing was awesome because we've got a, a, what I call a product development sales team right now that we put together that, that is surrounded by, I don't, I don't know. I think some of the brightest minds in the industry. I'm just so proud of what I've, what we've gotten today. Yeah. And all of a sudden it used to be Brad Morgan would figure out how he's going to go and how he's going to get there. But now all of a sudden I have this team and I have these young people coming to me and saying, you know, if we do this or if we could do this or could, yeah. we could build it. So uh, the, the, the fun part for me is watching this small company be able to utilize these resources, these young minds, and they're excited. They, 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 they get it. And I think the opportunity for whether it's regenerative ag or whether it's recycling or whether it's product development or, or whether it's just agriculture in general with our company is we're at the beginning. We're not at the end. This company mm-hmm. wants to do the right things. And, and I feel like we're putting the right leaders together to do it. Awesome. Well, Brad, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and, and hear about the operation and can't wait to share this with our audience. Well, fantastic, Michael. And I appreciate the time as well. This episode is sponsored by Rimmel Greenhouse Systems, makers of quality greenhouse structures. Whether you're just getting started or buying your 10th tunnel, Rimmel has a structure to fit your needs. I've purchased and grown in Rimmel houses and would recommend them to everyone. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer Podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.